Hey everybody, it's Ian King, athlete, advocate, coach, educator, and founder of King Sports International. Okay, so welcome to today's Meet the KSI Coaches. Today we have the honour of talking with Doc Doherty. Now Doc's accent will tell a story, but his current location is in the land of the brave and the free. So Doc, welcome to the call. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So uh, let's, I don't know where to start, but let's go back to where we where we started where we met, uh, and then we'll take you back a little bit into earlier history. So um, we met in the, uh, the land where the sun struggles to shine. Uh, it's a joke. I call it the Cape Cod sunshine. It, it, it can shine. It can be beautiful sometimes, can't it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, got, it's, uh, it's got a few nice bits. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's a pretty area. It sure is. So Cape Cod. So what brought you to Cape Cod? Um, so I actually came to the US to, uh, for soccer or for football. Well, I'd say it's soccer to me now, I guess. I've been here 16 years. So I came to um, coach and I was playing a little bit. Um, and then that was in 2005. And then I've been here ever since, kind of got stuck here. So it's, um, but yeah, no, it's, um, it's got its good bits and it's got its bad bits like any, any other place. But then, um, yeah, so the, the game of soccer brought me to the States. And did you start out in Massachusetts or did you start out in another state? I was actually in New Jersey for a little while. Um, and then for probably like a month and then headed out uh, the Cape and then been here ever since. Oh, that's a long time then. Yeah, yeah. Once you get so started. So yeah. let's go right back then. So as a young fellow, did you play sport? Uh, yeah, grew up playing. I'm from Middlesbrough in the northeast of England, so it's um, predominantly uh, football, boxing. Um, but I played anything I, I could really, like a little bit of rugby, cricket. Um, but I was always playing football, and then um, boxing was just part of the... I mean, they were the two most affordable things um, in our area, so they were the ones that we were always playing. And, um, probably played more in a pickup realm, um, like the old street soccer style, and then um, played at various levels at the youth level um, through until, and then I joined the military at 16 and continued playing there, came out of the army, played in the army, boxed in the army, came out of the military when I was 20, just before I was 22, uh, continued playing, and then a year after I got out, I um, or two years after I got out, sorry, I uh, moved to the States. Um, but yeah, it's been part of my life playing, training, um, just moving. Yeah, good to hear. So let's talk about the, the military. The military's got a lot in terms of the history of physical preparation and athlete preparation because historically, the only occupation that's really had to stay in shape, so to speak. I know, you know, staying in shape's now a lot more popular than it used to be from an occupational perspective. It's the only only occupation other than you know a professional athlete. That you can't say professional athletes existed right throughout history. Um, so the military has been leading the way in terms of um, wanting to to stay in shape. What what are some of the lessons you took from the military in terms of athlete or um, physical preparation? Uh, go hard, hundred percent is the mentality. So that's one thing I took away, which is uh, not necessarily the best way. Um, so it was basically just, I mean. Um, yeah, always kind of being kind of in physical supremacy, I guess, like the best you could be. There was, um, 
it was very like hardcore, lots of lots of carrying weight, lots of climbing, lots of crawling, um, and then running really fast. So it wasn't, it was uh, not the, it was the mentality of like, um, just go, go, go all the time. And then, um, so I st started as an infantier um, and then got my uh, wings uh, later on throughout my career, um, like um, for the airborne parachute parachuting and then it was just kind of what like very extreme constantly there was no kind of respite or focus on recovery so it was um as you can imagine very gung-ho yeah yeah that's that's one of the one of the challenges um in that original occupation the um i guess the you know if the, it's, a, it's a similar attitude in, in many cultures and sports if the egg breaks you get to get a new egg yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and I'm feeling it now. I'm, I've just turned forty, so my knees um, are what they used to be. But it's um, yeah, there's definitely um, yeah. I mean, if you there's no shortage, and it's if you can't pass your test or you can't make the mark, then it's um, you're just replaced. Like you're totally right, and then you put into even out of PT and uh, until you can pass it. So it's um, yeah, it's definitely a. Uh, I kind of understand it in a way because you always have to be on point, but it's. Um, yeah, it, there's no kind of long-term philosophy, um, which you'd think if you're trying to um, maintain someone's health for such a, like a profession such as the military, you would have a focus on that, but it's not really um, prevalent. Absolutely, and that's, that's a global thing. It's not just um, in England. From my uh, exposures, and what about lessons as a coach or from a, from say team building or culture building any lessons you took from you know how, how to act within a within a team how to build a team was there any lessons from there uh yeah i mean you find out pretty quickly that you have to be collaborative um in nature you know it's um it's you've got a mission you've got to kind of um fulfill it and like two heads are better than one right and then if you've got eight that's even better so it's um Many things that you do in the military don't work if only one person can jump a wall. You've got to get the whole team over there without collaboration. So that's a big thing I took away with it. And I think having team sports as well, was all, that was always something that was kind of ingrained in me from a young age. It's kind of, um, yeah, that collaboration piece. And even if you are a leader or you're in charge of like a certain objective, then it, you can do it on your own. Um, it has to be a joint effort. So... I don't know if that answers your question. Absolutely, that. absolutely. It's a, it's a, it is one environment that I guess civilians don't really get to understand because you know it's it's, it's literally in training or in, in in real. It's life or death, and um, you know there's there's no choice. You know you, you you work together or you or you you know you might not come home sort of stuff, and that's that's not a commonality in in um, civilian occupation. I I, I, yeah. I don't think when occupations that that have that reality day in day out. Yeah, and then I guess even in athletics, the worst thing that can happen is you lose a game, right? Um, exactly. Those consequences. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. In certain situations, it's life or death. So it's uh, you become, even if you don't like somebody, you become pretty friendly pretty quickly. So it's, uh, Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's a big part of teams because the bigger the team, the more diverse the personalities. And if you if you got a bit precious and, you know, say I didn't like someone, therefore I'm not going to work with them, then you know, teams struggle then and, yeah, we do. We do see that a lot in, in teams. So I think it's a you know it's a benefit for yourself to have had that 
reality uh, helping you know teams to gel yeah and i mean i'm sure you've seen this yourself on some teams you'll get like prima donnas or you'll get the uh the special one and it's uh there's no kind of place for that within um they soon get found out in the military world so that's uh i miss i miss that part of those days you know like i do work with teams where we get um the people who, who think that they're the special ones and it's and you're totally right i think um transferring that to civilian life it's uh it's hard to explain you know it's um or it's hard to bring that into kind of a civilian culture yes and i i, I treat when i work with teams i treat that it is a sort of a kind of a semi-military attitude in that you know i'm happy to shock them um which is what you know when you go into the military you get a bit of shock first and you know yeah. it's, and then it's almost you know, we go we go from the hard end and then we'll back off on you when you pass the attitude test it's not the other way around and that's that's another thing that i think civilians struggle with um as a coach i think a lot of civilian coaches in sports struggle they they, they want to be nice and then the, the athletes don't cooperate and so they get a bit cranky and you know by then it's a bit late whereas for the military you know you know there's a reason they cut your hair off and, and change your clothes and send you to places where you don't even know where you are, um, you know, with people you've never met before. You know, it, it's, we start hard, we go and we back off when you pass the test. I mean, the, yeah. the most casual environments are, are, are the most um, trustworthy environments. In, in, it's not the other way around. You know, there's an assumption of trust in, in, in sport. We don't want to be mean to you. We just got to hope that you're going to cooperate. Um, yeah, I don't know how well that works. Yeah, yeah. There's a, yeah, differing attitudes, I'd say, in certain environments. Yeah, it's tough to execute in a politically correct world. I mean, even though political correctness is probably permeating um, the military, but at the end of the day, it's still relative to the civilian life. We, it's, it's, an, it's an approach I, I think is very relevant to sport, going hard up front and setting the standards and then backing off on an even basis. Yeah, I mean, it just creates, like, the culture and the attitude, right, and the expectations, I guess, and it's, uh, it's all... It's all objective based as opposed to uh, let's talk about feelings and stuff. It's uh, you're getting this done whether you like it or not. And then you kind of, I think you're right if you can kind of transfer some of that mindset into kind of a, a team um, environment as well. And that's, uh, I mean, I probably do the same without even realizing it, you know, like we set a standard and we have high standards. And it's uh, when people show that they're deserving of being within the, the program, the reaching objective, then yeah, you do ease off a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And I think another thing the coaches struggle with is conflict. I mean, I think the, the, the earlier the conflict, the, you know, the, there's no problems with conflict. I mean, get it done, get it done early, and then you know things get smooth. You know, rather than hoping there's no there's no conflict and then hoping that you know the problem just gets bigger. I'd rather get it and bang it early. And but um, you yeah. know, I guess it's, it's a it's a tough thing for for coaches who haven't been exposed to what you've been exposed to to understand what we're talking about. Yeah, and it's, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it can go on the other side as well, though, like playing devil's advocate. I think if it's it's finding the balance, I think, right, um, in kind of like the mainstream when you're working with teams. It's because uh, if you, I have not done it myself, like I went in head too headstrong and it's kind of like, oh, <laughs> that might have been a mistake. So I think definitely taking the lessons that, we've, that I learned there and then kind of molding, because um, society is a lot different um especially now um but like in in the general population and it's uh trying to find that balance for maintaining those standards at the same time is uh probably one of the tricks right but it's uh yeah it's a, it's a difficult challenge on a daily basis <laughs> absolutely so how did you end up meeting the late mike pimitel 
So I um, I actually used to own a, a boxing club uh, in a town over from Mike, um, probably like 20 minutes drive. Um, and we kind of cross paths. And then I have a charity. We do um, like education through soccer and we do like a leadership camp. And Mike's youngest daughter, Grace, who's 18 now. So yeah, it's which is crazy because I think she was like 11. Um when she joined and she kind of took part in our programming brilliant kid. And then obviously through that, me and Mike, I uh, got to meet properly. And then, um, I went and did a little bit of judo with him and he tossed me around like a rag doll. Um, didn't last very long. And then I uh, do like a little bit of boxing, but he was, he was just a special guy. Uh, the whole family was brilliant. Um, started doing a little bit of boxing training at, um, at his place at compass when he had compass, and then, um, and then, yeah, I think I can't even, yeah, I'm kind of in COVID time now, right now, so I couldn't tell you what year it was, but it's, um, but yeah, no, he, he was, a, he was a good man. He was a very special guy and he's, uh, yeah, one of a kind. And, and we used to actually do a lot of um, events through our charity at, at Compass Athletics and we just kind of uh, formed that relationship and build it until obviously, um he was taken from us, so he was, uh, but yeah, he, he was a top guy. Well, of, of um, crossed his path as, and as you were there in the big country of America. So I'm, I'm assuming that's how you heard about KSI, was it um, through Mike? Yeah, so I think you were coming to town and um, I think I'd missed out on it. It might have been the year before and I do some work overseas and I actually think I was one of our overseas program for the soccer charity and you come the year before and I just missed out or it might have been two years before you have to excuse me I can't remember and then when you he said he told me that you were coming again and then um he he'd always kind of like we'd always exchange ideas and stuff and he told me about KSI and um like started looking into it a little bit and then when I think when you came and worked with a group of our athletes um at Compass and I think that's where I met Tom and Dave you might have been there as well I'm not sure um and then I remember we'd spoke and we and you kind of like I think in probably like the two hours is that I was there I probably learned more on most education courses um that I'd done and we had like a good chat and then I think Tom me and you worked together a little bit um, during that weekend as well. And then, yeah, that's how I was first introduced to it. And um, and then after you left, like, then I really started picking Mike's brain. I think he was sick of me by the end. So it was kind of, uh, yeah, we were just um, trying to uh, learn more about it. And then obviously went on to, uh, I think I'd signed up for the orientation course while you were there. And then we were, I think you did an assessment with me as well. Um, and it was just kind of intriguing to me. So, and then from there, just continue to follow through the coaching certifications. So as a, sport, as a sports coach, what are some of the main lessons you've taken from what you've learned from KSI? Oh, I, um, I think in the periodization is I'm fascinated. Well, but, Chewed a bomber's book up here, thanks to you. So it's somewhere, it's kicking around Excellent. somewhere. So it's, uh, and I'm like, my head's in that most days. Um, and I just think, um, I think the biggest thing I took away is, I mean, I'd been involved in the game since I was technically 16. I mean, my, my day job was a physical training instructor from like 18 onwards. Um, 
Um, and I think I'd never really looked at the long-term approach, kind of alluding to what we were talking about the military earlier. And it's, I think I went from kind of writing a workout for the day to really like sitting back and seeing what I was doing with people. Um, I'm working with a national team player now, or a youth national team player, sorry. And I've mapped out her training plan for 10 years, not in depth, obviously, but we've kind of set a goal. So I think just being able to step back, that was a huge piece of what I've learned. I think that doing the level one and then kind of researching on my own afterwards, uh, definitely the periodization models and stuff. Um, I'm really just looking at like the holistic approach. I mean, I know on soccer coaching courses, um, everything's talked about holistic, but no one, and my friends, no one really gives a shit about it. So it's kind of um, it's kind of frustrating um, because I think there's so much science and mainstream training that we forget about the unmeasurable, un unscientific things like. Um, like the well-being, the, the the social aspects of people and all that, those types of things that come in, uh, uh, we have to take into consideration when developing a plan. Um, so it's kind of, I mean, you've probably tainted me a little bit as well because now I stand in certain places and I'm kind of, um, now I'm hypercritical of everything and I'm like, is that the right thing to do? But it's kind of definitely, um, it's led me to kind of look at a bigger picture and, and really think about the athlete as a person as opposed to, what training plan am I going to write from maybe even this, like today or even this week? And I've stopped. There was a quote, I think you said, like, we either work out or we train. Um, there was something like that, but it was like, and then it made me think, like, I've always planned for the day. I've never planned. I might have planned for a season, but loosely, but I've never really looked in depth at all of the things. So that was a huge thing that I took out. Um well, yeah, that's about the yeah, the, looking at the whole holistically and definitely the periodization, and then the taboo in America flexibility. Um, yeah, I try. I mentioned that word, and I yeah, I get shooed out of places pretty quick sometimes, so which is pretty funny. But yeah, yeah, it's an interesting. Listen, you've been around a while. Like, what what year did you get qualified as a PT in the army? What year was that? Uh. 99 99 okay so yeah. i've got my own theories about what had happened in history but but by 1999 what was your attitude towards flexibility what were you taught uh do 10 minutes at the end and you'll be all right oh uh, okay. yeah what you're doing that far gets stronger but, oh yeah i mean get get over the wall stop stretching i was still yeah. in the military then yeah yeah that's true. Yeah. so that might not have been completely reflective but, but i the flick the, the switch flick ran around about the mid 1990s you know, the, the, the world turned against flexibility. Um, you know, it's, it's not the first time it's turned against the training modality. I mean, the double knee bend squat, you know, what we call squat these days was was taboo in the 19, uh, you know, by 1960, around about there, um, you know, in the 60s and in the 70s and even in the 80s because of the research, inverted commas, done by uh, a, a Texas researcher out of the University of Texas. Um, you know, it was taboo, it was bad, you know, it would injure you. So it's not the first time in history that, a valid exercise or modality has been removed from the protocols. So it's just a matter of an individual having the strength. I mean, you know, you, you know, do you do you do you toe the corporate line? Do you believe what you're told? Do you go on and do an experiment on yourself and, and as many others as you can and come to your own conclusions? Yeah, I mean, I and mean, then that's kind of what I've. And I, 
yeah, I, I don't know if like I was always looking for the right thing and like the right fit. And then I think obviously um, multiple kind of um, experiences through the fitness industry. And when came into KSI, like I kind of changed. Um, like I really started implementing it with the national team uh, player I was telling you about. She um, was injured. And it was because it was like 100% every day. That was what they were taught to train. And I think she was 14 at the time. She's 17 now. And we've kind of tried to apply the methods as best as I can. I'm obviously not um, an expert just yet, but it's kind of just the basic concepts. And then like her growth over and taking recovery in, in reducing flexibility. I mean, knock on wood, she hasn't been injured now since then. And she's um, she's going to a hat one of the most prominent colleges for women's soccer in the country. She's hopefully an Olympic athlete one day. So it's kind of, I think just kind of just even the basics have like helped in my own experience. You know, like have really helped in kind of looking at that. Um, I mean, you you've said it multiple times. It's all about strength um, over here. Or how many burpees can you do in a minute? How many tire flips? And it's like and then. And I've always had in the back of my head, like, well, why am I doing that? I mean, and like I said, I kind of get it in the military. Like, yeah, I might have to pick pick somebody up and throw them over a wall. So that's why we're training like that. But it's like, well, why do I have, why does a 13 year old female soccer player need to do a tire flip and a clean and jerk with full weight, which is what they're unfortunately teaching the kids over here. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> it's uh, the challenge of protecting the athlete. You know, I'm probably a little bit showing my age, but it wasn't always that way. And I came into sport before dry land training was really embraced. I mean, uh, there was certainly no strength training in Australian sport in 1980 per se, and it didn't exist. So, you know, I had a clean, clean skin approach, but now what we're doing is picking up the, uh, like we're trying to do run a defensive role or clean up the mess. Whereas in those days, the only mess we had to clean up was the mess caused by the sport, not 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 the mess caused by the non-specific off off court or off field training. So it yeah. is a different world. Yeah, I mean, and then what I like, I, I tell the kids now, it's better not to train, just play the sport, and then focus on stretching and recovery. You know, mm -hmm. you're you're going to be more successful long term if that's. Yeah. But then it's the marketing and the. The hoorah attitude of like lift, lift, lift is um, it's definitely prominent, and it's it's frustrating as well because you see kids who have got so much potential, and then they're ruined by the time the seventeen, eighteen, and it's like, well, like why is and again to what you say, it's like uh, there's kind of a epidemic with the ACLs and stuff, and and it's all uh, I'd, I'd agree, like a lot of what I see in training regimes or lack of kind of long-term planning, people saying that they're doing certain things and they're not really doing it. Um, that's a major contributing fact that the kid's getting hurt and then um, not fulfilling like true potential. So, Well, it's, it's encouraging to hear you, you say that they're better off just playing for the sport and stretching than, than engaging in what's going on in the world at the moment. I, I'm because I've been around the block for a while and I'm watching what I call new sports and a new sport like motocross, like motocross in Australia is just starting to embrace, you know, strength and conditioning, use that shitty term. And I just cringe. I feel, you know, I feel, feel sad for them. They'd be far better off just riding that bike and stretching, um, you know, it's yeah. diluting their skill development 
for starters, by going into the gym, they're spending less time on the bike and more time with them, and then they're developing things that they don't need, and, and then they're developing things that are actually dam damaging their ability to ride. It's just it's just tragic. But to watch a new sport, mate, it's 2020, but there are still new sports in the world. Like they're, they're like third world countries. You know, like how tobacco is being introduced to third world countries. So that's where the tobacco companies go to. They go to third world countries. Um, that, that's what this has been. It's like watching that unfold in, in a new sport. So it's it's sad to watch, but it's good to hear that you uh, tell them that it's the best message you can tell them is play your sport and, and stretch. And then, you know, that's far better off than what everyone else around you is doing. It's a tough to get across, perhaps, but um, it's, it's, it's got to be a responsibility. You know, beware if you want to get in that path, pay the price. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to watch. And yeah, but it, um, yeah, I mean, you can't, um, you can only tell people what you feel. And if people, want to take it then i think i've yeah i've long gone of days where i'm trying to like change everyone's mind um yeah. so i'm just like whatever <laughs> which is sad to say you know but it's um but yeah it's um because people will listen for five minutes and then they go off and do the complete opposite so it's like well just help people that want to want to be helped and you know like and something else might work for somebody else and that's fine but i don't if i don't believe in it i can't do it type of thing so that's why I have a hard time. With and from a coaching perspective, uh, and, you know, to be from a selfish coaching perspective, provided they're not your athletes, they go off and do do things the mainstream way. Then that's good because it makes it so easier to dominate with the athletes you're working with. You know, dominating in sports pretty easy because everyone else is going off there taking taking a sledgehammer to their kneecaps. You know, like they're just shooting themselves in the kneecaps, so to speak. You know, figuratively speaking. So. From a coaching perspective, I kind of, you know, I kind of enjoy it. Um, it makes my job easier. Yeah, well, my teams have been successful the last couple of years, so it's, uh, <laughs> it is, uh, it's pretty nice. But, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're not going to change the whole world, right? I think it's just kind of if you can change your little part of it, then and hopefully inspire some along the way to continue, um, and then pass along the message to those that want to hear it, then. That's a, that's what we've got really. I think that's the moment in time that we're at. And that's what you're doing now that you wouldn't have been doing if you hadn't been exposed to say Mike or KSI. You know, it's, it's just good to have another person on board who's giving, you know, it's, it's like a, a lifeline to an athlete. You know, I don't mean to sound too special, but uh, you know, we can really salvage them um, if they follow a certain path from, from the dangers of mainstream training. So when you went into soccer as a kid, you probably didn't appreciate it at the time, and I, I certainly wouldn't have been uh, um, at, at the same age that you're engaging in what is arguably the the best sport for a young athlete. Full stop. Have you had a realization and appreciation of that in hindsight? Um. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it's definitely. Um... Oh, when you say that, what, what, why, how, what do you mean by that? Like the best, well-rounded kind of. So if you were to if you were to line up every like if you were to analyze all the the people that I respect in long term periodization and looking at the optimal activities for a young person to do in their formative ages, and that comes down to a handful of sports and they include and not in any order of importance soccer you know some sort of tumbling or gymnastics some sort of you know running track and fields you know there's you know some, some sort of uh, balance or spinning sport like a, like a, you know, a martial art or similar. It, it, there, there's only a handful of sports that really make the shortlist, and soccer is one of them. Uh, yeah, I mean, I still see 
obviously I, I, I wouldn't know what I'd be like if I hadn't have played it because I did, but it's, um, you can always kind of tell a soccer player um, for like some certain physical attributes, like um, endurance wise, like running gait and stuff like that. I, one thing I wish I had done as a kid was gymnastics, but that wasn't accepted when I was a kid. So it was, um, but yeah, it's, um, I think, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I'd agree. I think um, martial arts wrestling is a good one, but I see, I kind of feel sorry for some of the younger generation, especially over here. Like you see some of the football players and they're a mess by the time they're 15. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm still kind of getting like reflected on childhood and kind of like, I think sometimes I don't realize how lucky I was just to play a sport where you can. I mean, there's multiple uh, lines of movement in there, right? There's um, there's so many physical attributes that you, you can take with you long term. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's why soccer has really been uh, respected. So, and I don't think that's necessarily the reason why the majority of American parents put their kids into soccer. But for, for, for me, it's one of the best developmental sports for a young person to play. But we're opening up a whole new situation in, 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 in America. I don't know if you've noticed the direction where kids' soccer's taken over the last few decades. Is there, is other, you know, let's talk about, and, I, and I, we're talking about the, probably the best sport for a kid, generally speaking, because not every kid wants to do gymnastics, not every kid wants to do martial arts, whatever. So, you know, I, I think it's probably, probably the most popular and most, uh, the best sport to get a kid playing at some stage of their life uh, as a young person. But what's happening in America over the last few decades. You've been involved long enough to understand the, the changes in, in, you know. And we, we just mentioned a few of them. We'll be here all day if we... If we... Yeah, I was going to say, how long have you got? <laughs> it's, um, yeah, so, I mean, the biggest, um, the biggest issue with soccer in the US right now is accessibility. Um, I, I was coaching and I've, um, for a club soccer program. Um, I left kind of getting dragged into it um, again and I'm having a moral dilemma with it but it's um, like I mean kids can pay if, if you pay play, playing at the top level you're looking at least minimum of $20,000 a year just to play which um, so it, it kind of limits those opportunities for, for young people to play like so I have a charity we do free of charge soccer leagues which is taboo over here again so we kind of um we try and make it accessible. Um, so I think that's the first, because there are so many long-term benefits to just playing the game. It's not even an option for many children. Um, then the overload of kids, like, so they're playing in tournaments. So when they are involved in these clubs, they're playing in tournaments. And then sometimes there's like two, I know of kids who played three games in one day, um, which is, just nuts to me. It's um, the general training, again, periodization. It's like, it's kind of, you go to practice, you, you train probably less on soccer now and more kind of on fitness, um, which is, and then it just builds, builds, builds until the kid breaks. Um, so they're really the two, the accessibility and not kids not being allowed to just play the game for what it is and just play. Um, and then it's this now elitist kind of attitude towards it. And then just kind of the general training programs within uh, the, the, the amount of load that the kids are put under at such an early age. Uh, and it's, they've kind of, the system has kind of taken the play um, out of the game. 
if that makes sense. Like, it's not about, like when I grew up, it was about you show up, you're kicking a ball, it goes over someone's yard, you're running away, you're sending your, you got to like pick straws to see who goes and gets it back. And it was about those things and you, you learn those kinds of life skills that we've talked about earlier, team building activities. And now it's all so manufactured that it doesn't, um, it doesn't feel real in certain settings. On the flip side, we like I, I'm a phys ed teacher at a public high school, and I train. I, I have a high school team, and it's very. Um, if you show up and like, it's all talent based, so um, it's different. Like you've kind of got two two worlds that are at odds with each other. But I wouldn't even just say so. I'd say like what I see in a lot of sports, it's like more, more, more. It's that kind of military mindset. Um, and we're just forgetting that the kids, you know, and it's uh, that's probably the saddest thing to see and probably the, the most destructive thing to the, the kid's body and probably mentality at some point as well. This is, uh, I'm seeing a lot of risk coming out of the, the choice or the decision to be involved in soccer. And, and I don't expect parents to be experts in physical training, but I expect somebody to be expert in, in, in athlete preparation. And, you know, you rely, I guess, on the sporting organisations to be that. But um, it's an out of control environment. It's yeah. In America, it's unless you've seen it firsthand, you. I don't think people could appreciate just how how big the monsters become. You know, it's there are just so many problems around kids soccer. You know, it's just almost an oxymoron. Like a, yeah, and that's what it, it's like. Kids playing a game, and it's just completely. I work with a guy who does similar work. It wasn't he? Which is like we do. We both work in the Middle East and through the, the soccer charity. And he said, I've been to some of the most dangerous places on the world and the worst, the most dangerous place I've been, it was a American youth soccer club, soccer game. Cause he said, the parents are crazy. The, the, the game's crazy. And he's just like, this thing's nuts. So he said, he'd rather be in the in Iraq, um, kicking a soccer ball around near I than be in a soccer field in the US. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm alluding to. It's, it's tragic because you would have taken the, the most, the most special, the most precious um, sporting activity, generally speaking, for kids globally, and turned it into a, a nightmare. Uh, and, yeah. and I can't see, I can't see uh, a light at the end of the tunnel. I don't, I don't know where it's going to end up. Um, if you take current trajectory, yeah. it's, it's not going to recover. And then, yeah, how many? What's the long-term effects? Not just obviously the get That's a huge piece of it, but like physically with these kids, like when the break, right, you know, it's just, um, there's so many, yeah, it's, um, but yeah, and then it's like, yeah, I, that's why I personally go back and forth because it's like, I, if those, if people aren't in, involved in those organisations who take, like, kind of what we do into consideration, then is that better or worse to have somebody else involved in it uh, who doesn't care about that? So, I don't know, it's, it's an ongoing battle. <laughs> so. Yeah, I understand the dilemma. Absolutely. And, and how many parents did you have involved when you were young playing soccer in the backyard? How many parents did you have involved telling you, you know, he's drilling you or telling me, or was it just, you know, you play? The only time I, I was ever seeing one of my parents when I was playing soccer was when the lights came on and I wasn't home for dinner. So it was uh, get home now. Um, you're late and it was like five more minutes and then that'd be the only time you'd see your parents on the soccer field so yeah it's a completely different world I mean obviously if you had a game they might come and watch might not they might have better things to do and it, like I love that you know it's kind of uh, 
we're kind of missing that. Everything's just so um, controlled, maybe the right word. Like it's just so, like I, I think I said it before, just so manufactured. It's not, it's not like, um, it's not like the, the true version of the game of just, yeah, just going to play, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's good to have coaches involved um, with KSI because, you know, we, as we, the coach education program is aimed at both at sports coaches as well as the physical coaches because at the end of the day, it's the sports coaches who make the bigger decisions. Like it's the sports coaches that really have more impact. I mean, you know, physical coaches can do most more damage in a short period of time, but, you know, the, the, the sports coach actually, it, it's more, it, it's more um, organic for them to control more aspects of the, of the athletes preparation so we you know, we want as many sports coaches involved as possible if you uh, you know if you were talking to another sports coach how would you explain the benefits of what you've learned through KSI because you know a lot of people look at us and think we might just be a physical preparation organization I think it's just um the biggest thing I've been able to like implement and what I'd tell anyone else and what I do tell other people is kind of um just looking at the bigger picture and just kind of seeing, I mean, for me personally, I work with young people, I work with kids and it's like, if we truly care about their, we have, what's the buzzword now? It's like development, development. It's like, well, if we can if we are true to our word and we're concerned about, or we care about their development, if we don't take all of these um, factors into consideration when we're working with the kids, then are we really, are we really doing by, right by the kid? And then if if we if we were adamant that we are doing right by the kid, then um, we need to like ask ourselves what it is that we're doing, why we're doing it, how can we make it better? And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, in the, the industry don't feel that way. But there's there's people out there, and I think the um, the the other thing um, that I always think back about what you said is uh, everyone loves to follow a trend, right? So it's like, um, yeah, it's like, and I, the, the, the thing that they're doing the right thing and they're like, oh, well, this is the latest thing that's happening. And it's like, well, why are you doing that? Because it was on YouTube and, and I saw like a professional soccer club do it. I'm like, yeah, but they're professionals and they're adults. Um, so you got to like really, so that's what I've, I like just questioning everything is like a, a big thing that I'd say like um, really, um, KSI would would definitely bring and then like yeah reflect on your own practices take advice um and just like yeah have an open mind right to to make a to do right by the the people who you're working with yeah so because at the end of the day we just want people to to think about it and maybe uh conduct a personal experiment conduct an experiment with kids rather than just blindly accepting the dominant theory it's um you know, I know it's a harsh capacity, but I always like to talk about slavery. You know, when, when slavery was a dominant uh, a practice in America, everyone, you know, thought this was good, this is okay. And, you know, people might have been against it, but didn't do, didn't do, not, didn't do a lot about it, so to speak. And in, in the hindsight, everybody says, yeah, it's terrible, it's terrible. But in, in the moment, who was really standing up for it? We're in the right. same situation now. You know, in, maybe in 2050, the world will appreciate stretching. But what about the athletes that suffered from, from 1995 to 2050? You know, there's going to be a generation or two of athletes who, who paid the price because nobody or not enough stood up and said, you know, maybe that's not the best thing for you to be doing and to, to ignoring your stretching. 
But anyway, I am looking at it from a, a multi-generational perspective. Okay, so we've got a number of coaches on the call and I know they'd love to have a quick chat with you. So who would like to open up first, coaches? I will. Um, I just wanted to say, Doc, what an awesome story. Uh, you've, yeah, you've had so many experiences and it's just really great to hear also what you're doing now with charities and really, yeah, really helping people by doing the free of charge. Yeah, just awesome. So I've got a couple of questions, um, if you don't mind. Um, and the yeah. first question, first question was when you went in the military and then you came out from the military and obviously doing physical training or working with kids, did you implement any things that you learned from the military initially then into your training with yeah 100% for, for better or worse not not so much with the kids but when I moved to the US and I was training people I was just using that military mindset um thankfully some of the, most of the people are still my friends so it's um but yeah it's um but no there was definitely because I mean that's what I that's what I'd known and then I'd always went on like um education courses to try and learn new things but admittedly like um it was very trend dominant and as much as i thought i knew um i definitely didn't know anything <laughs> like you know like so it was um you know because like you're following like oh but yeah, i think when i got a little bit more experience i started asking like well why am i doing that what's the point in this like what's the it might look good from afar but like really what's the what's the purpose and then so yeah i definitely because you, you, I mean, you are what you know, right? And then, like, I kind of um, followed that path, yeah. And then, and it, listen, that might have been good for some people, but for the majority, it wasn't. So, yeah. And then, what if you can remember what was your what was your influence to make a change from going from that style of coaching? What influenced you to then look for something else? Was there anything that stood out to you to make that change? <laughs> Good question, man. I don't know. Um, I honestly, yeah. Um, I think just getting sick of the mainstream. Like, I'm not very, um, what's the word? Like, jock. Like, I'm not like, like, who wrote? Like, you know, I'm just like, whatever. I don't like care. Uh, you know, I'll just do my thing. And then I think when you're kind of in that world and you're not like, you don't feel comfortable with it, you start like questioning. And then the whole thing, when I, I do remember actually like a big thing that I, when CrossFit came on the seat, oh, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but when an organization came on the scene that was very prominent in the US, um, I was just like, all right, that's cool. And then watching people walk out of gyms, like with busted shoulders and knees and, and they're like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, look what I did. I'm like, Okay, <laughs> that's uh, cool, I guess. So, um, so yeah, I don't know if you can edit that bit out, Ian. <laughs> well, it's all good. It's all good. I think, um, I think the primary person who's spending the money suing everybody, I don't know. I think the the, the rate of legal actions has decreased, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it will get much out of me anyway, so I'm good there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, you know, the irony with CrossFit is it, you know, you and I have been been through that sort of you know, let's get you into shape in three months sort of mentality. And, you know, that's, you know, if you've got a high goal, a high bar, and, you know, you've got an occupational reason to go and do that to yourself and you're young and, you know, but it's not a, it's not a sustainable approach. Yeah. And it's, so I actually, 
I think it might have been round about the time I met. Um, I was training a, a PT, and she was. I think she was friends with Mike, and she'd always said she was going to open a franchise called CrossFix. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so it was because um, she, yeah, she was the same. Well, yeah, I mean, but, you know, like that works for some people. That's their outlet, so good for them. But it's, um, I think, just watching kind of how, and like Ian just said, like coming from that background, it was like I understood it then because I was young and you, you had to achieve an objective, but it was like just never... Yeah, it did. I think that was probably a, a turning factor as well. Just kind of being in that environment and seeing it all, and and then seeing what fitness had become. And it was like, is like I thought it was just about being happy what you're doing and not like beating yourself up if you can't achieve something. So, right, thank you. I don't know if that answered just... Kelly. Uh, no, no, it, it did. I just went off on a tangent. I blacked out. No, no, that was great. And also, just one more thing. Sorry, just one more question. I am. Um... When you mentioned that the system's taken the play out of the game and obviously you run all the camps that you do and all the courses worldwide, have you implemented any changes in the way you structure and have you had the opportunity to based on what you've learned from KSI with like flexibility and the holistic approach? Have you been able to change the structure? Um, yeah, I mean, so we, yeah, I mean, we definitely, I think the holistic approach uh, just to the general, like we used to do like these free of charge stock clinics and then it was like oh we're coming to play soccer and then it was kind of just looking at the person as a whole um i think the kids now are sick of me saying like stretch 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 so i like that's definitely became like a major factor and yeah i mean and it's good because i have kid i had a kid last night who she plays for a high level um club and she she's going to be playing d1 and she was all excited because she she had to do a beep test and she passed it and i'm like uh -uh. I don't know why you're doing it, but, and then she was, well, I need, my Achilles is tight. What stretches should I do? So the, the kids are texting me and they're like, what stretch should I do? What stretch? And I'm like, all right, well, that's small step. So it's good. So, yeah, so definitely, I mean, yeah, I haven't even thought about it to be honest, but there's definitely things that through KSI kind of implementing and, and advising, definitely the flexibility is huge. Yeah. So. Brilliant. Well, thank you. And yeah, thanks for sharing your story. It's been great to listen. Right, cheers, Kelly. Thank you, man. Fantastic to hear that they're asking you advice about uh, flexibility training, Doc. That's really great to hear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was wondering, do you only coach um, football or, or uh, young soccer players or other sports? Um, well, I'm a PE teacher uh, at a high school, so I try to teach volleyball. The kids teach me, but it's uh, but yeah. So I'm definitely um, we do like multiple sports, like we part of our curriculum is we just and the biggest thing is we just teach them how to play sports and it's more kind of the collaboration stuff I mean my major focus is um for me personally is uh when I'm actually what I deem as real coaching is is all kind of football so I coach um at the youth level from our free of charge clinics to like really grassroots level to I coach I'm an assistant coach at a college team um and then everything in between i've kind of gone so that's my main focus but i the beauty of sports is especially like within a public high school kind of with a very diverse community in a low socio-economic area is um 
yeah, I, I've got. I try and just teach anything. Like if the kids want to play it, I'll 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 teach it because I think it's just such a great tool. Um, I might not teach it well. Like I do throw basketballs like wouldn't around, but uh, that doesn't go down too well. So. And and do you still follow the Premier League in England? Yeah, my team's not in it though. So it's um, but yeah, I. I I'm at, well, I grew up in Middlesbrough, so I supported Middlesbrough, but my team's actually Millwall. So they haven't got a great reputation, but it's, um, yeah, I know. I just, I think I just saw Paul, just like give me the look, but they actually sponsor our charity. So I'm friends with one of the owners and they, so about 10 years ago, he took me, he takes me there every year and like we go to a game. So I kind of have a joint allegiance now, but we get free gear for the kids. So I have to say I support Millwall as well. So it's um but they're not as bad as what well there's the yeah well we'll just leave it at that but uh, do you want watch the premier league sorry do you watch the premier league well um sometimes because there's a lot of belgian players involved in the premier league as you might yeah, know de bruyne are the best player in the world right now so absolutely yeah. absolutely and hazards Hazard. Hazard, yeah. He's uh, he's having a tough goal. Well, injuries, right? Like, and I think that's... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd, that's where I'd love to know what goes on behind the scenes at that level, why players are getting injured like that consistently. Mm -hmm. um, it shouldn't happen. I mean, he still gets a nice paycheck, so... Yeah, so. Thanks, Doc. Hey, cheers, mate. Hi, Doc. It's Jimmy here in the UK. Hey, Really yeah, great yeah. to hear your story and uh, really interesting, really enjoyed listening to everything you've done. And um, one of the questions I wanted to ask is over your years of coaching football specifically, have you seen the change in players' skill sets from um, where they're being influenced from, trends from the fitness industry, taking them away from actually playing? Uh... Yeah, I think. Where are you from, Jimmy? Where are you guys from? We're in Kent. Kent. So are you? What is that? Arsenal. No, Arsenal's more. I, 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 unfortunately, yeah. I'm a gooner. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, you are. So <laughs> your man, Arsene Wenger, changed the face of football in the world from kind of like a fitness point of view. Because if you watch the players, he brought sports science and all that type of thing. And then even he said it was a monster that got out of control because he used to have like two people who were in charge of everything. And then he said there was a person for massage, biomechanics, like, and it turned into this massive team, but he kind of brought that mindset. So, I mean, you'll remember like the, the Ian Wright and Roadcastle days, right? So like that was a whole different ball game to what kind of um, you see now. Um, I think... So, I, yeah, I, there's a guy who I know, he works for the FA, and he, um, he was telling me about the Aston Villa team in the 80s, how they won the league. They only had 13 players in the entire squad. They played every single game, cup game, two games a week, trained every day, probably doing some unhealthy things during that time period as well. It was a big drinking culture back then. Never got any injuries and won the league. And now you can't even get with the, like, um, you can't even get through a season without, or you can't even get through a couple of weeks without somebody being injured. So I don't know if this answers your question, but I think the more that we've kind of implemented Ian's favourite quote, strength and conditioning, um, or kind of that kind of um, 
sports science stuff into the game. It's actually, we might look leaner and healthier and might move a little bit faster, but I'm still on the fence about that. But I don't think we're as durable, especially in the Premier League. I mean, you used to watch them players. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to seem like a really good person in here, but one of my favourite players growing up was Vinnie Jones. So (laughs) I'm like, but like, he was just like a hardcore um, player. And and, and in those days, like they'd put tackles on each other and they wouldn't get hurt. And now um, it's kind of, yeah, the the, the run the wrong way or the change acceleration in the dance. You know, and you never used to get that. So I'd, I'd say for me, that's the biggest thing I've noticed over years in coaching, because it's probably the same as in youth sports as well. Like more kids get injured now. Like I never remember anyone pulling a hamstring when I was playing, um, unless you were trying to get a sub because you'd been out the night before. But it was, um, but there was definitely, um, it was, wasn't even a thing. And I think that's, we might look prettier now on the field. I don't know how more effective we actually are. So that might, I don't know if, but as far as trends and stuff, like I think that that's the biggest thing I've seen over the last um, few years, like watching watching the game. Yeah, no, that really answers my question. And, and I guess that's what we're looking over a sport over decades. You can see the change over, over a long period of time. As again, Ian teaches to, you know, to watch over a long period of time. So yeah, that's, that's a, Great answer. Thank you very much. No, no, my pleasure, man. Yeah, I, I, I love that stuff. It interests me. Yeah. Do the sports have even a, any idea? Are they even asking the question of why that's happening? Do you think? Too much money, so probably not. Yeah. <laughs> so it's um, which is crazy because, like, to what Dave was saying, players he was mentioning, those guys are on. They're not getting a bag of jelly beans and a and a cigar for, for playing, you know, they're on big money. So you'd think as far as an investment goes, they would be asking questions, but I think it, it's the balance, right? I mean, this is my own personal opinion. It's like, I think science, there's a place for it, but when you, when you break every single thing down of what a human, a complex human being is, right? You break it all down into these separate things and then you wonder why people get injured. And it's like, well, one, your mental state directly relates to your kind of physical state, right? So if you can separate them and there's no kind of like, I think, yeah, I don't know. It's, um, I, I think there's, the business of it has got too much, I think. Um, and I think people think that they've got the, the answers in their kind of little world. And I think they're, they're very protective of it and they don't want to, um ask questions too much they want to have all of the answers yeah definitely i think science is so tied into it now that they wouldn't even want to admit that they're off track either oh you can't because yeah scientists can't be wrong <laughs> it's, uh, yeah so and, and i'm i do sports science so that's technically our degree so it's like but it's uh i just think if we don't look at everything as a whole and again to what Ian was asking, like, I think that's one of the big things I took away. It's, um, we're not working with a, a robot, right? We're not working with a biomechanical stick figure. Yeah. You know, or moves in this, we're having somebody who might have stumped the toe on the way to practice. Now that's going to, you know, like there's all, there's so many complex things and we don't, um, and I think that's probably, for me, that's where science has went too far. Um, 
and I think, yeah, I think there's so much kind of power involved, especially in the game. I mean, I think the biggest outgoing cost within the Premier League is the sports science department. I think it's over, I think last year or the year before was over 150 billion spent on sports science. So just in the Premier League. And that was players hiring five staff members to to do different things. And it's, uh, so I think, yeah, it's a bit, it's a big industry. And so, yeah, people ain't going to ask, they don't want to rock the boat. Good stuff. Well, you probably saw a few uh, fellow countrymen's accent coming through there. Uh, Doc, I'll write it on. Yeah, so some of them like you have, have left the old art. Okay, well, we're going into a wrap and Doc, we just want to express our, our gratitude for taking the time and, and being another sports coach in the KSI program. Um, you know, it, it means a lot to me as, uh, as an athlete and as an athlete advocate to have sports coaches involved in our program because as I said, they, they've got more potential influence than a physical coach. They're all, they're all important, but um, you know, the sports coach having a better understanding or being influenced in, in the way we, we approach the athlete, the athletic preparation, I think, is, is really helpful and powerful for athletes that they come under and in, into contact with. And it's about saving souls one at a time. You know, we're not here to change the world, we're just here to help the people who are looking for a better way. And unfortunately, most of the, you know, a minor is not necessarily responsible for their own decisions. You know, adults have a big responsibility when it comes to training a, a minor. I think the, um, you know, the burden relies on, on, on the adult. And when they're an adult athlete, the burden lies on them for making those decisions. So they need all the athlete advocates they can get when they're minors, is what I'm saying. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for having us. It was, uh, it was a pleasure. And yeah. So it was awesome. So thanks for taking the time and, and joining in. And for the invite as well, Ian. So, yeah. Good stuff. And you're still boxing with the local police team? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, I think I got to the point where I was like, it, it, yeah, it hurts getting hit in the head after a while when you get to a certain age. So I, uh, I kind of, uh, I like to train others now. But yeah. yeah I, understand, I understand that. It's hard, it's hard <laughs> for the brain to, to, to think... Um, when you're recovering every uh, every session with with uh, echoing in the head, I get that. Yeah, driving around with an ice pack on my head did, didn't stop being fun. So, <laughs> uh, good stuff. Well, it's uh, great to connect again with our, our friends from the beautiful area of Cape Cod in Massachusetts, and you know we we, we spent a lot of time up there, and very good memories from our time and many of the coaches on this call also. Got it yeah. there. So keep carrying the flag for us up there in the Cape. And we look Absolutely. forward to catching up with you as you continue your journey. All right. Pleasure, man. Thanks, Doc. Thanks, coaches. All right, guys. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks, Doc. Thank you. Bye, mate.